Pastor Xavier Reese had one of the most deadly weapons ever. The greatest sin in the church, as I said often, is the tongue, gossip, malicious talking, backbiting, slandering, insinuations. You know, we, we redirect big old ships with this little rudder. We put little steel bits in this horse's mouth and turn them. And yet this little beast behind the ivory cage whips and destroys and distorts and corrupts everything. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One true mark of a Christian is not the size of the Bible he or she carries, it's not the amount of ministries they're involved in, and it's not even measured by how much money they give. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Ephesians as he presents the evidence of one who's been truly redeemed. Let's listen. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 25 through 32, the message is entitled, The New Man in Action. Paul now moves from the general command of putting off the old man and putting on the new man to very specific sins that are to be put off on a daily basis, and he gives them to us from verse 25 through 32. You see, the believer is to walk worthy of his calling in unity because of the one body, the one God. And putting away every work of the flesh as it rears its ugly head. And so Paul pinpoints particular sins that need to be reckoned dead daily. Each of these is given in the negative, then it's replaced by the positive virtue, and then it's, it's given a reason for it. And we're going to follow this pattern. The believer is not to steal, verse 28. The practice of the old man is again in the negative, let him who stole steal no longer. The command implies there has been a change from the old to the new man. The command also implies that we can still steal as Christians. The command may even imply the very practice by some in the church of Ephesus as the rest of these offenses. Notice the practice of the new man is replaced by the positive. Let him labor, working what? with his hands, what is good. So the individual is to work honestly with his own hands, what is good, instead of using his hands to steal and do what is bad. There's the contrast. He used to use his hands to take somebody's property, now he uses his hands to gain property. Some people think that work is a curse. No, the curse is thistles and thorns, and that labor is hard, but work is good. There are many ways that we as believers can steal, not thinking that we're stealing. We can steal time from our employers by witnessing during our job, during the time of work. You can take longer breaks. You can have somebody punch in for you. You can leave early. You can take pencils, pens, clips, and you can respond the same way the world is. Well, hey, they, they make a lot of money. Hey, I'm worth more to them. They don't pay me enough. But that's the way we used to respond to the world. We can steal by not being honest in our income tax returns. Who's going to know? Or they're a bunch of thieves. Well, again, are we going to justify or be truthful? We get another shot at it in a couple of months. <laughs> The work ethic is biblical as a principle that is clearly marked throughout the scriptures. 
The Apostle Paul worked honestly with his own hands and to the point of exhaustion. In Acts chapter 18, verse 3, Acts 20, 34, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, he worked with his own hands. He was a tent maker, and he provided for his own self and the ministry and those that were with him. As a matter of fact, he told the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That's the biblical prescription. Now, that doesn't mean if you're laid off. It doesn't mean if you're hurt. It doesn't mean whether, you know, somehow you have some handicap. It's talking about a person who is able to work but doesn't want to work. A person who is just a quitter and just lets go jobs, okay? You don't work, you don't eat. That's the principle I taught my children. My son used to say, why am I, why don't you get a gardener? I said, you're my gardener. (laughs) You don't work, you don't eat. Even the dog had to bark or he didn't eat. (laughs) Just the principle. Everyone needs to work. Even the law provided for those who were needy to work with their own hands. Remember the gleaning of the fields with Ruth? And she went out there gleaning, picked up the leftovers. I think our system stinks today. We have people come to an office and we give them money and food. I think we should have them report at that office at 8 in the morning, put them to work in the the cities, in the public things that have to be done for the 8 hours, then give them some food. Then give them some money. Give them an incentive. Give him some self-respect. The believer is to be known for his benevolence and compassion towards others who have less and are needy. They'll know you by your love, John 13, 35. Freely you have received, freely give, Matthew 10, 8. Now notice, fourthly, the believer is not to speak with corrupt communication. Verse 29. No corrupt words are to proceed out of your mouth. The practice of the old man is in the negative once again. Let no corrupt communication or words proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means rotten, putrid, speech that is bad, unfit for a believer, worthless. The command implies the ability and understanding to choose between right and wrong, good and evil, by virtue of having been set free and no longer a slave of sin, according to the words of Jesus in John 8, 34 through 36. We understand. We, we know our thoughts. We understand what God's taught us. We understand what we have to do. We understand the capacity we have. Then we make a decision. The prohibition identifies the vehicle. Don't miss it. It's the mouth. But more specifically, the tongue. The prohibition indicates other people as the object or target of our injury or insult. By corrupt words, be they wives, husbands, children, friends, our loved ones. They're the targets. But notice the practice of the new man is to be in the positive, but what is good for necessary edification. That which is good in nature, in constitution, useful and salutary. So we need to think, what's this going to do as I open my big mouth? The word edification means to build up. It's a key word of the chapter, verse 12, 16, and 29. Edification, that's what we're here for each other, to build each other up, not to tear each other down. That comes natural. Supernatural is the building up of the body. Again, he gives us the reason. Notice that. The reason is for personal benefit, that it may impart grace to the hearer. It implies sweetness, charm, loveliness. It's characterized by goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. It contains the idea of kindness which is bestowed on one 
who does not deserve it. I presume we all qualify. The tongue is an unruly member, the beast behind the ivory cage. So keep the cage closed. James reveals the inconsistency when out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brother, these things ought not to be so, James 3.10. The entire chapter is given to the tongue. You know, we, we redirect big old ships with this little rudder. We put little steel bits in this horse's mouth and turn them. And yet this little beast behind the ivory cage whips and destroys and distorts and corrupts everything. The greatest sin in the church, as I've said often, is the tongue in the church. Gossip, malicious talking, backbiting, slandering, insinuations. Sure, sexual sin's wrong. It's not the best. Sure, other things, but the tongue is probably the number one sin in the church of Jesus Christ today. It destroys people. It destroys ministries. The vehicle is a mouth, but the source is the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, only God knows it. Out of the mouth proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, adulteries, everything else, Matthew 15, 19, by the words of Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. So we have to check our tongue. We have to check our mind, because if not, we reveal who we really are. The words that proceeds out of our mouth are to be Suitable words for the occasion when an individual is in need of edification, of being built up. What proceeds out of our mouth is to be good and a benefit, value and admirable. Even as Colossians, two books over, Colossians 3, uh, 16 and 17, he says, Let the words of Christ dwell with you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, Father, through him. Now look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Grace and salt. Mm, that's good. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Proverbs 15, 23. The gracefulness of our words is only a response to God's grace to each of us. Oh, how God has been so graceful to me. I need to remember that I began by grace, I continue by grace, and I finish with grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Freely you have received, freely give. This applies here again, Matthew 10, 8. So important. It's so easy to forget. Now notice fifthly. The believer is not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, he's given us specific sins, the negative, the positive, and the reason. Now, he kind of summarizes what, in fact, these things are. The believer is not to grieve the Holy Spirit. When we do or are involved in any of these and many others, that the list can go on. There's many lists of virtues and vices in the New and Old Testament. Anytime we're involved in those Practices of the flesh, the old man, what we do is we grieve the Holy Spirit. So notice here the practice of the old man is in the negative, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Literally, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. And the word grieve means to sorrow or to pain or to offend. 
The word is used of Peter being grieved when Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me in John 21, 17? Why did it grieve him? Because he remembers his three denials. But that sorrow was bringing forth conviction so there could be confession. That's proper confrontation. And whenever you're confronted, we began with lies. There's conviction. And you will either respond and say, I was wrong, forgive me. Or you will say, well, you've done it too. Which will it be? It is evidence of our intimate relationship to God, for this is a personal hurt of sorrow to the Spirit. It is God himself we grieve, for it is the Holy Spirit. There is only one Spirit, and he is God, even as Peter attested this to Sapphira in Acts 5. How is it you have not lied to man, but you've lied unto God? It brings pain. If you've ever been lied to, you know the pain. When someone that's far removed from us lies or deceives, that doesn't bother us. But when someone who we have embraced and entrusted everything, then it's destructive. It's almost like you don't even get mad at first. You're just devastated. And then after that comes the anger. But the first thing is shock. Notice the practice of the new man is to be in the positive. The spirit is by whom he was sealed. So we're not to grieve the spirit by whom we are sealed. There's a positive side. The word seal, as you know, means to put a mark. It is useful to seal the tomb of Jesus in Matthew 27, 66 with the Roman seal. The seal would be put on baggage and cargo to identify the ownership once it got to the port of that city. Now, remember, Ephesus is a port city. All the Ephesians understood this. It was a very vivid picture. They understood the significance, the importance of that seal. There was a positive reason for it, a great benefit. The believer is a property and possession of God. His mark is upon him. And the mark that's on him begins to be manifested on a contrary basis. There is confusion. There is distortion. There is a blurring out of the defined lines. Once again, the reason is based on our hope. Why? For the day of redemption. The believer is redeemed, a redeemed person, living in an unredeemed body. The believer is a redeemed person living with the capacity still to sin. The believer is looking for the full redemption one day. We look towards our Redeemer. We await that day. Grieving the Holy Spirit is like ignoring the pain signals of your brain. Pain is good if you use it as it was intended to be used. You have a pain on your side doesn't bother you at first, but then it gets worse. You're having an appendix attack. If you respond to it, it's good. You'll live. If you ignore it, you'll die. Whenever the Holy Spirit is being grieved, we know we're grieving it. If we respond to it, we confess as we acknowledge and we repent. We get right. 
If we ignore it, it's destructive. The choice is mine. Only those having the Spirit of God are His, Romans 8, 9 says. Only the believer. Only those who, who are His can grieve the Holy Spirit by sinning against the light. That's why He gives us an advocate for the defense, Jesus Christ the righteous, in 1 John 2, 1. The non-believer can't grieve the Holy Spirit. Only the Christian can. Now, the non-believer can resist the Holy Spirit, and that's what he does. In Acts 7.51, remember Paul, uh, Stephen was preaching in the synagogue there with those who stoned him, and, and they resisted the Holy Spirit, he told them. They, they, they deny the work of the Spirit. They deny the, the, the Word of God. They do not agree with God. But the Christian grieves the Holy Spirit. You see, the Christian has been redeemed. He told us that in chapter 1, verse 7. The believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20. He lives inside me. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 19 says. Notice, sixth and last year, the believer is to put away all flesh. Notice what he's done. He's given us specifics. He's kind of summarized what all these specific individual sins do. They grieve. And now here in verse 31 and 32, he kind of just, instead of continuing with the list and giving the negative, the positive, and the reason, he, he, he thinks now they've got the gist of it. They understand it. So he just kind of summarizes it with this, this ongoing bombardment of sins. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So the practice of the old man, again, here is mentioned first in the negative, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The word bitterness means long-standing resentment, which refuses reconciliation. Again, it goes back to the very first thing, lying or something happening. And that resentment builds up. And it turns to vengeance and anger, retaliation, and bitterness. And it doesn't go away unless it's reconciled, unless it's dealt with, with truth. Very important. And the word anger, long live habitual anger, chronic. Same word as in verse 26, the word to be angry, righteously, but don't let it go into unrighteous anger. Notice how he summarizes and qualifies all these things that precede as well as the ones here in this verse. All malice. It speaks of the attitude, the intent being to injure and harm, describing all the list. The action, the deed, the thought, the word is all motivated by malice. I want to get you. I want to make you hurt. I'm going to get back. Now, if you find yourself in that situation, you find that person, and you resolve the things with truth, you get right. Especially those of you who are married. Don't even play with that. Because it'll lead away, and one day it'll be over. If you don't deal with it. Notice the practice of the new man is in the positive again. Be kind one to another, tender heart, forgiving one another. Verse 32. The believer is to be benevolent to one another. The word kind means useful, gracious. 
The believers to be compassionate to one another, tender-hearted, sympathetic. The believers to be forgiving of one another. The word forgive means to put away, to, to, to release, to send away. But again, that sending away has a prerequisite. Acknowledgement, confession, and repentance. If it doesn't, and it won't take place. That needs to take place. Don't abuse the person you've sinned against. Don't lay your heavy trip. Acknowledge, confess, deal with truth, and then you can be restored and be moved on. Remember Jesus told Peter how many times, and Peter said, oh, should I seven times? He says, 70 times seven. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> it doesn't mean you keep count. It means when people are genuinely repentant and they're dealing with truth, you forgive because no one has sinned against God as much as uh, you have, and no one will ever sin against you as much as you have sinned against God. We're debtors. Notice the reason again is that we are debtors, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So it's a comparison. God forgave me in spite of all my sins. I have to keep that in mind when I'm asked to forgive. I am to forgive in the same degree. Stephen was being stoned. He was on his knees. And he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Jesus did it from the cross. Stephen did it on his knees. Guess what? You and I can do it. There's no excuse. But it will cost us. We have to deny ourselves. You see, when push comes to shove, whatever has happened between you, your wife, your husband, friends, loved ones, or friends, someone has to come to a point where they say, you know what? I'll absorb the cost. It's done. Someone has absorbed it. Jesus absorbed all our cost. And he said it's over. And sometimes that's the point that you have to come to where you say, you know what? You blew it, man. You ripped me off. But you know what? It's gone. Don't worry about it. It's over with. Someone has to absorb the cost. Like Jesus. The list of sins here follow a natural progression. The root being bitterness. And because of bitterness, you go to wrath and to anger. And then your own right, your own authority. You speak evil with the intent to bring injury. It's a natural progression. It taints your life. Rather than see it in living color, you see it in black and white. The list of benefits follow a natural understanding. We are debtors to God as the evil servant who was forgiven all in Matthew 18. He was forgiven everything, and yet he had this friend who owed him just pennies, grabbed him by the neck, threw him in jail. The other servant told him, the master says, well, how much did I forgive you? He says, all. He says, you evil servant, should you not have done the same thing? Let me propose to you that parable is about you and it's about me. And there are many times in my life that I have to refer to that. And I said, Lord, help me to remember, because I'm a debtor. And so Paul has listed for us some vices that are to be put off on a daily basis and replaced by certain virtues in view of having put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness 
and true holiness. It's a day at a time, people. And God is more than willing to meet us there. And so, this really describes the new man in action. Not just talking, but doing. Pastor Xavier Reese and the life-changing impact of the gospel. And you can pick up a copy of today's study, The New Man in Action. We can send you a copy on CD for only $4. And this includes what Pastor Xavier taught on the last time we were together. So once again, the title to request is The New Man in Action, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What impact does the Holy Spirit have on the life of the believer? That's next time right here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com